Welcome to the Council of Institutional Investors podcast on corporate governance and capital markets regulation. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. The purpose of these monthly episodes is to update CII members and the general public on significant developments in U.S. corporate governance and capital markets regulation and CII's related advocacy activities. This update covers a period from February 2nd to March 1st, 2023. The following is my top 10 list of events over that period of time. Number 10, on February 7th, the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission's Division of Examinations announced its 2023 examination priorities in order to provide insights into its risk-based approach, including the areas it believes present potential risks to investors and the integrity of the U.S. capital markets. Coming year, the division expects to prioritize four items. One, focus on new rules applicable to investment companies including the derivatives rule and fair valuation rule. Two, review private fund advisors, portfolio strategies, risk management, and investment recommendations and allocations focusing on conflicts and disclosures in these areas. Three, continue to focus on ESG-related advisory services and fund offerings and assess whether ESG products are appropriately labeled and whether recommendations of such products for retail investors are made in the investor's best interests. And four, conduct examinations of broker-dealers and registered investment advisors using emerging financial technologies or employing new practices. In particular, these examinations will focus on the offer, sale, recommendation of, or advice regarding trading in crypto for crypto-related assets and evaluate whether a firm, one, met and followed the respective standards of care when making recommendations, referrals, or providing investment advice, and two, routinely reviewed, updated, and enhanced their compliance, disclosure, and risk management practices. Number nine, on February 13th, Senators John Boozman of Arkansas and Senator Mike Braun of Indiana and Representative Frank Lucas of Oklahoma teamed up to reintroduce in both chambers the Protect Farmers from the SEC Act. The act would exempt family farmers and ranchers from the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission's March 2022 proposed rules to enhance and standardize climate-related disclosures for investors. The lawmakers who introduced the bill say the SEC would require all public companies to disclose greenhouse gas emissions from operations a company owns or controls, from the generation of purchased electricity, steam, heat, or cooling that is consumed by company operations, and if material, indirect greenhouse gas emissions that occur in the upstream and downstream activities of a registrant's value chain. A press release issued in support of the bill says that the value chain reporting component of the SEC's climate-related disclosure proposal would place a reporting burden on the farmers and ranchers that provide raw products to the value chain and would inundate small family-owned farms with costly compliance requirements. Number eight, on February 15th, U.S. Securities Exchange Commission adopted rules to shorten the standard settlement cycle for most broker-dealer transactions in securities from two business days after the trade to one. 
an SEC report examining the January 2021 meme stock debacle suggested that a shorter settlement cycle could have mitigated the risk of brokers temporarily limiting clients' ability to trade during periods of extreme volatility, such as when Robinhood suspended GameStop shareholders' ability to exit their positions. SEC Chair Gary Gensler said, I support this rulemaking because it will reduce latency, lower risk, and promote efficiency, as well as greater liquidity in the markets. Chair Gensler added, today's adoption addresses one of the four areas the staff recommended the commission address in response to the meme stock events of 2021. The other three market structure issues that the SEC pledged to address at that time are conflicts of interest surrounding the gamification of stock trading, short selling, and share lending transparency. In addition to shortening the standard settlement cycle, the final rules will require a broker-dealer to either enter into written agreements or establish, maintain, and enforce written policies and procedures designed to ensure the completion of allocations, confirmations, and affirmations as soon as technologically practicable and no later than the end of the trade date. The rules also require registered investment advisors to make and keep records of the allocations, confirmations, and affirmations for certain securities transactions. The final rules will become effective 60 days after publication of the Federal Register. The compliance date for the final rules is May 28, 2024. Number seven, on February 16th, in a letter to the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, the Council of Institutional Investors generally supports the PCAOB's proposed amendments on auditors' use of confirmation, whereby auditors obtain evidence from third parties about management's financial statement assertions. CI's letter notes that in a September 2020 letter, CI requested that the PCOB prioritizes project on interim standards. The proposed amendments on auditors' use of confirmation replaces an interim standard of the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants that became effective in 1992. In response to the one question posed explicitly to investors by the PCOB in the proposed amendments, CII expressed general support for providing more information from the auditor about the auditor's use of confirmation in the audit of a company's financial statements. More specifically, CI's letter suggests disclosure be provided from auditors to investors about instances where the auditor has determined that the presumption to confirm accounts receivable has been overcome. Number six, on February 2nd, U.S. Senate Banking Committee ranking minority member Tim Scott of South Carolina published an outline detailing his legislative and oversight priorities for the 118th Congress, which are intended to ensure that the U.S. financial services system best helps American families find success and financial stability. In particular, Senator Scott will focus on five items. One, reducing barriers, promoting access to credit for the millions of American families that are underbanked or credit invisible by promoting technological innovation, such as expansive and dynamic credit scoring models. Two, increasing access to capital formation. Three, promoting programs that help level the playing field by providing everyone access to financial literacy tools. Four, ensuring that regulatory agencies under its jurisdiction 
exercise timely, appropriate supervisory authority within the bounds of their statutory missions. And five, working to facilitate a bipartisan regulatory framework that accounts for both the rapid growth in the use of cryptocurrencies and the concerns raised by high-profile failures. Number five, um, February 8th, the U.S. House Financial Services Committee's Capital Markets Subcommittee held a hearing to examine legislation intended to reduce barriers preventing small businesses and entrepreneurs from accessing capital. Although Subcommittee Chair Ann Wagner of Missouri observed that the JOBS Act of 2012 was a step in the right direction and provided greater opportunities for small business owners and entrepreneurs to grow their, grow their companies, Chair Wagner argued that there are still significant regulatory barriers that impede the growth of small businesses and hinder the competitiveness and job growth of the U.S. economy. Chair Wagner said that lawmakers should work together to pursue policies that make both markets attractive places to raise capital and spur economic growth. Specifically, Chair Wagner expressed concern about recent suggestions by U.S. Securities Exchange Commission Commissioner Carolyn A. Crenshaw that the commission require additional disclosures by firms conducting private offerings under Regulation D, noting that if adopted, such heightened disclosure requirements would increase regulatory burdens on private companies and make it harder for them to raise capital. However, Subcommittee Ranking Minority Member Brad Sherman of California asserted that sometimes barriers are good and sometimes they're not, noting that when a barrier successfully prevents an investor from investing in a bad or fraudulent investment, that's not just good for one investor, but for the overall capital markets. Addition, Representative Sherman reported that between the subcommittee's February hearings and those to be held in early March, committee members will consider approximately 30 capital formation-related measures, including the Access to Small Business Investor Capital Act legislation that would permit a registered investment company to exclude from the calculation of acquired fund fees and expenses those incurred indirectly from investment in a business development company. Number four. On February 3rd, U.S. House Financial Services Committee Chair Patrick McHenry of North Carolina announced the formation of a Republican working group led by Oversight Investigation Subcommittee Chair Bill Heisinga of Michigan. Stated purpose of the working group is to, quote, combat the threat to our capital markets posed by those on the far left pushing environmental, social, and governance proposals, unquote. Representative Heisinga cited the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission's March 2020 climate disclosure proposal as a prime example of this overreach that would have a wide-ranging impact on hardworking Americans across all walks of life. Specifically, the working group will examine ways to, one, rein in the SEC's regulatory overreach, two, reinforce the materiality standard as a pillar of the disclosure regime, and three, hold to account market participants who misuse the proxy process or their outsized influence to impose ideological preferences in ways that circumvent democratic lawmaking. The working group plans to coordinate the Republican response to the ESG movement through member education and policy development. Number three, on February 7th, 
The U.S. House Financial Services Committee held a hearing to examine risks to U.S. interests posed by China's economic and geopolitical actions and related mitigation efforts through the use of utilization of, among other measures, investment screening, sanctions, investment policies and supervision, and export financing. Committee Chair Patrick McHenry of North Carolina stressed that the United States and its allies must prevent China from rewriting the international rules of the road, arguing that lawmakers should reject policies that allow China to ignore debt transparency and multilateral standards with impunity. Ranking Minority Member Maxine Waters of California generally concurred, arguing that Congress and the administration must confront this challenge by defending our values and securing our interests globally. Although Representative Waters observed that Congress has taken steps to protect the nation's security and ensure U.S. businesses and our economy can successfully compete with China by passing critical legislation, such as the Chips and Science Act, Ranking Member Waters said that there's more work to do, including making sure U.S. companies like hedge funds, private equity firms, and Wall Street are not investing in ways that hurt our economy or funding the adversarial actions of the Chinese government. Number two, on February 22nd, the chair of the U.S. House Financial Services Committee, Patrick McHenry of North Carolina, and the ranking member of the U.S. Senate Banking Committee, Tim Scott of South Carolina, and the chairman of the U.S. House Subcommittee on Oversight Investigations, Bill Heisinga of Michigan, sent a joint letter to U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission Chair Gary Gensler. The letter demanded records and other information related to the SEC's March 2022 proposed rules to enhance and standardize climate-related disclosures for investors. In the letter to Chair Gensler, the legislators say the proposed rule exceeds the SEC's mission, expertise, and authority, and if finalized in any form, will unnecessarily harm consumers, workers, and the U.S. economy. They also accuse the SEC of flouting the democratic process and pursuing a progressive social agenda through the expansive proposed rules. Letter also criticizes Chair Gensler more broadly for shifting the SEC away from its principles-based disclosure regime to a partisan, activist, and prescriptive approach. And the number one most significant development in U.S. corporate governance, capital market regulation for the period, from February 2nd to March 1st, occurred on February 28th, when the U.S. House of Representatives passed a resolution under the Congressional Review Act by a vote of 216 to 204. The resolution would overturn the Department of Labor's November 2022 final rule intended to remove barriers to considering environmental, social, and governance factors in plan investments. During the floor debate on the resolution, Representative Andy Barr of Kentucky, the resolution's sponsor, stated, quote, Congress must act to block the Biden administration's recent rule that greenlights so-called ESG investing in millions of Americans' retirement plans, plowing them into less diversified, higher fees, and lower performing portfolios at precisely the time we need to maximize financial security for Americans approaching retirement, unquote. Senator Mike Braun of Indiana, who was on the House floor during the vote, indicated that he hopes to bring an identical resolution to the Senate floor as early as March 1st, but 
allegedly is still one vote short of a majority of the U.S. Senate necessary to pass the resolution. On February 27th, the White House issued an administrative policy statement opposing the House resolution and pledging to veto it if it passes the House and Senate. According to the statement from the White House, Department of Labor rule allows fiduciaries to consider corporate accountability and transparency, climate, and liability risks if they find them relevant to the analysis of an investment's risk and return in the same way that they would prudently consider other relevant factors. White House statement also reads, quote, to be clear, the 2020 rule is not a mandate. It does not require any fiduciary to make investment decisions based solely on ESG factors. The rule simply makes sure that retirement plan fiduciaries must engage in a risk and return analysis of their investment decisions and recognizes that these factors can be relevant to that analysis, unquote. That completes my monthly U.S. corporate governance and capital markets update. If you have any questions regarding any of the issues discussed, please feel free to email me at jeff, J-E-F-F, at C-I-I dot O-R-G. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening.